This is Deldel Medina, Executive Director of Black and Brown Founders. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast, Rewriting the Playbook. If you like the conversations we have on here, I want to invite you to be a part of your own rewrite. Join us at Chroma on October 7th in Philadelphia. Chroma is a convening where Black and Brown Founders come together to make a change. This year's theme is where culture meets money. And we're planning discussions centered around culturally connected entrepreneurship, crypto, and Web3, and real estate. You won't want to miss out on the opportunity to gain insights into these hot topics and connect with leaders innovating across these industries. You can also look forward to live performances, authentic headshots, and local foods that highlight culture and emphasize wellness. Save the date. Again, that's October 7th. And join us for Chroma 23, an event that's sure to be a game changer for you and your business. Go to blackandbrownfounders.com to learn about Chroma 23. Hey everyone, my name is Josh Torres and you're listening to Rewriting the Playbook. Rewriting the Playbook is a podcast by the Black and Brown Founders, and I'm here at Chroma 22, the money edition in Philadelphia. We've had some conversations with many interesting people centered around how money makes them feel. We also talked about wealth, legacy, and community connection. Here's my conversation with Malcolm Etheridge. Hey, Malcolm. So excited to meet you. Thank you so much for being here in Philly with Black and Brown Founders at the Chroma Money Matters edition. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah. So we're really excited. I believe you're giving a talk a little bit later on the power of owning equity. Is that, that is right? correct. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am a certified financial planner. I'm based in D.C. Um, that's my day job, I guess. I do a ton of work with folks who work in tech, usually people who are paid in equity. And so that's obviously why that's part of a focus of, of, of mine for the talk that I'm giving and that sort of thing. Um, and then also, uh, I am the host of the Tech Money podcast, which is what we like to call it, the place where tech workers come to get smarter about their money. Conversations about things like huh, the taxation of crypto is a, is a episode we just recently did. Planning with your equity you receive from your employer, all those kind of things. And then separately from that, I am also frequently on CNBC um, as a contributor there. And so just, you know, anything related to money, anything related, interrelated, I guess, uh, with technology is a, 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 an interest and a passion of mine. And so I'm very fortunate that I keep finding opportunities like this to spend time talking to people who care about both. That's awesome. I feel like I needed you five years ago when I was <laughs> when I was working in tech and didn't really understand what any of my stock options meant. <laughs> it, it's it's yeah, it's one of those things where like you don't know until you needed to know that information, and then at that point, people are like, "Oh, well, too bad, so sad." Yeah, you know, it, and so we just we do better the next time. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. you also don't know what capital gains taxes are until you have to pay them, <laughs> or just any kind of taxes. Any you don't know what's going to trigger taxes. You don't know how much it's going to be. It's just all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. all bad. Yeah. Well, so so grateful that you're you're doing this work. I think it's it's so important, and events like this are so important for our communities to connect with an understanding of money and to the ways that money can be a financial empowerment tool, right? So we've been asking everyone this question. So I'm curious, sure. um, how does money make you feel? Mm, that's a good one. So money makes me feel empowered. I know that's a buzzword, but it does actually make me empowered 
it makes me feel empowered because it gives me ownership of my time, which is the most important thing to me. Being able to go where I want to go, when I want to go, and not have to check in with anybody other than, I guess, my wife and, and my kid to some extent, that's really what is important to me about money and, and the, the feeling that comes up. It's just that time freedom. that you, We can always get more money. We can never get more time. And so being able to be the owner of my time is, is really valuable to me. Yeah, no, I think that's such an important message. I think um, that empowerment piece for the specific purpose of time, right? I think that's a, a good connection point. Um, I'm curious on the flip side, does money present any challenges in your life personally or professionally? Mm, that's a really good question too. So I won't even say me specifically, even though this is something that I am consciously focusing on and constantly reminding myself of too, but it's understanding where your enough point is. And when I say that, I don't mean like, you know, how much money is enough money in aggregate in the future. I mean, literally, how much money do you need to have today to do all the things you need to do, right? So I have a house that's nice enough. I don't have to go chasing another bigger McMansion to feel fulfilled because then there's always going to be more to chase, right? Or I drive a car that's nice enough. I don't need to get into the habit of always leveling up to the next and the next and the next because then it's this perpetual chase of more and more. And so figuring out where your enough point is, what's nice enough, right? Like the jacket I have on right now is nice enough. I bought it from Express. It didn't cost me a ton of money. It's nicer than one I might have bought at Macy's, wherever, right? Not knocking any company specifically, but you get what I mean. Like it's it's nice enough. It does what I need it to do. And that's, to me, where we start to go wrong is constantly being on that treadmill of perpetually chasing the next thing and trying to level up and level up every single time our income increases. It's that the, the term is a lifestyle creep. And so we allow our lifestyles to continue to creep up to meet our income versus turning off the, the tap at some point and saying enough is enough. Now I need to start focusing on putting these dollars to work and getting me off this treadmill sooner than, than later. I gave a little precursor of the talk that I'm going to give actually uh, in a few minutes here uh, buried in there. So forgive me for getting on that soapbox and going, you know, a little long there, but that's essentially the focus of what I want to talk about today. No, no, I think that's awesome. And I, it's great because, you know, not all of our listeners are, are here today. So I think sharing that message is so important. And I really loved how you framed that, right? Because I think so often we hear that in the, in the way of, you know, living below your means, which sounds and feels so limiting. Mm -hmm. But the way you framed it as, you know, how much is enough or nice enough where you're still allowing yourself to have these things, but you don't necessarily need to have the top tier top echelon of these things right it's like you still have a car you, you still can, have a house <laughs> you can have anything you want you just can't have everything you want oh. that's the way i frame it right so if the thing that's really important to you is eating out at a really nice restaurant with your friends after work or on the weekends do it don't feel bad about it spend your money how you want to spend your money but just understand that that's also going to mean you probably can't drive the latest model tesla or you probably can't have the nicest, swankiest downtown apartment or condo. There's always trade-offs and just being cognizant of the things that really matter to you, spending your money there and skimping everywhere else. Having that balance will still get you where you want to be. Yeah, definitely. 
So you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious if you have any favorite self-care practices as they relate to money. Hmm. Yes, I do. One of which is what I, what I just was, was alluding to, but I'll, I'll expand on it rather than where you were saying we have this, this mantra of live below your means. Another one is save for a rainy day. You know, you never know what you might need, that kind of thing. Not getting into that mindset of scarcity and being so fearful that I'm going to need every single dollar and I can't spend anything. And then you turn around 10 years later and you've got a lot of money that piled up on a spreadsheet somewhere that looks really good, makes you feel really good for a second. But you just look at 10 years worth of life. You didn't get a chance to live because you were so focused on the dollars on the spreadsheet or logging into your Robinhood account or wherever the dollars actually are. Right. And so being able to treat yourself to whatever the thing is that matters to you is what really matters, uh, in my opinion, really matters. So like for me, it's a new watch for milestones. And so whenever I reach a milestone that I think is significant enough, and usually that means that there's some money behind it that's going to be coming, you know, uh, because of that milestone, I found I find that I can treat myself to a new watch and not feel guilty about it. That's my way to celebrate myself and say, good for you. You know, you did that. This is for you. Every time you wear that watch, you look at it, you say, hey, that's from that time I did that thing. And now you put it to the side and, and focus on the next thing. But it's not enough that it's going to undo my whole financial plan. And it's not enough that it's going to take away from my ability to pay my rent or hit my savings goals or any of the stuff that I need to do. It's just a little thing that I do for myself to say, pat on the back, good on you, keep up the good work. Now go find the next thing that we can celebrate. Yeah, I, I love that so much. And I actually think what you were saying around, you know, not just saving everything for a rainy day and, and looking back is related to what you were saying about time being this incredible resource, right? Like you still have to live your life and especially like your younger years, right? <laughs> like I think it's so important to really value your youth and your health and have those experiences when you're younger. So being able to, again, use money as a tool to kind of... Um, create, you know, the kind of life that you want to live and elevate those experiences? I think we as financial professionals, especially people who are in the media, who are, you know, online personalities, whatever you want to call it, are way too hard on young people. Like, yes, it is very true that saving money aggressively in your 20s compounds really, really well over time and puts you significantly ahead of everybody else and blah, 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 blah. But life is also extremely expensive for people who are 60 and 70 years old. So how do we expect 24-year-olds to be so much better at finding ways to live and take care of themselves than 60 and 70-year-olds who've had you know, an entire lifetime to save, invest, and do things? So I just think we, we treat 20-somethings as if they're supposed to be like monks who take a vow of poverty and, you know, don't ever spend a dollar on anything that's not absolutely necessary. And I think that's a mistake. Like in your 20s, you should be spending money on experiences. I do think there's something to be said for saving for a rainy day and being responsible in that way. But I don't think that we have to get into this mindset of super aggressive saving and denying ourselves and, you know, delayed gratification and everything else. Because the way math works, you get into your 30s, 
you make more money than you did in your 20s. And as long as you don't succumb to lifestyle creep like I was talking about before, you allow yourself time to make up for all of that time that you could have and quote unquote should have spent investing in an index fund. And, you know, nobody ever got rich because they didn't buy lattes and avocado toast like that is just stupidity. Right. So like allowing people to have fun and enjoy being 20 something to me is more important than condemning them for not starting as early as you absolutely possibly can. That said, do save something, right? I'm not saying be reckless and don't be fiscally responsible at all, but I am saying you want to take that trip with your friends, take the trip. You want to go have whatever experience you think is going to make you a better person long term, go do it. Like you don't have to drive a Tesla. You don't have to have the best looking, swankiest apartment in the city, but like go do the things that are going to make you an interesting person. Yeah, I love that. It's it's a balance, right? It's definitely finding that middle ground. Curious if you have any other thoughts you want to share with our listeners, anything we didn't cover today? So I'm actually working on a book. The title was recently changed to Financial Independence Doesn't Happen on Accident. This is something that I am constantly talking to people about who say that, quote unquote, retiring early is important to them. So I don't want to be working so hard in my 50s, 60s, 70s, like my parents or grandparents had to, or my aunt and uncle or whoever is your motivation. And the thing that I always ask people is, what are you doing right now in pursuit of that financial independence goal? And it's usually a garbled mess. It's, you know, we're saving here, we're doing this, we're maxing our 401k, we're whatever, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. And so the message in that, that I I hope to encapsulate in this book is that it's going to take a series of systematic changes to the way that you do things and a very intentional set of behaviors to actually reach that financial independence goal. And what happens is one day you look up and go, oh, shoot, we're here. But if you don't actually put one foot in front of the other and start walking, then it's not going to just happen on its own because you want it so badly. And so being financial independent takes some effort, but it absolutely is possible, especially for younger people who decide to go on that journey in their 30s and even 40s who are in or approaching their highest earning years, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, We actually had a speaker earlier, Ramona Ortega, and she had a great quote. I retweeted it and she said, um, having no financial plan is still a plan. It's just a bad one. (laughs) That that is absolutely true. (laughs) So uh, aside from the book, which is super exciting, uh, where can people find you online or if they want to connect with more of your work? Yeah. So on social, I'm at uh, Malcolm on Money. And uh, on LinkedIn, I'm Malcolm Etheridge. I'm on there pretty frequently. Uh, Also, they can check out the Tech Money podcast. It's on every single major podcasting platform, and we put out new episodes every Wednesday. Awesome. Thank you so much, Malcolm. It was a pleasure speaking with you, getting to know you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to hear your talk. That was my conversation with Malcolm Etheridge at Chroma 22, the money edition. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow Black and Brown Founders on Instagram and Twitter at BB Founders. You can also follow me at the Josh Torres on Twitter. I'm Josh Torres. Thanks so much for listening.